0: administration fixing
1: the damn roads here we go everyone with detroit today on 1019 wdet i'm stephen henderson And as always, thanks for tuning in. Governor Gretchen Whitmer says she's going to go it alone on fixing the damn roads. The promise that she made during the 2018 gubernatorial campaign and was unable to keep in concert with the Republican-led legislature last year, she announced Yesterday during her state of the state speech that she's seeking three and a half billion dollars in new bonds to get the process of fixing the roads started. And just before we went on air today, the State Transportation Commission approved that move. And that is something that does not have to go to the Republican led legislature, which killed Governor Whitmer's 45 cent fuel tax increase proposal last year. Is this the right way to tackle roads? Is this something that could loosen the roadblock between the governor and the Republican-led legislature on ongoing road funding, the, the gap that will still exist between what we spend and what we need to spend to keep the roads in great shape. That is where we begin the conversation today, and I've got two great people here to discuss the roads and the other parts of the governor's speech. Jake Neer is a Detroit Today senior producer. He was in Lansing last night as the governor delivered her speech. Jake, welcome to the studio. Hey, Stephen. Also with us is Riley Begin, a capital reporter for Bridge Magazine. Riley, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Hey, thanks. Good to be here.
1: So, Jake, uh, the governor touched on a number of other subjects during the speech that are especially important here in Detroit. Uh, we're going to talk about those as well. We'll get to Rhodes in a second. But you were there and managed to find a moment to catch up with Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan. Before we get into what the governor said, let's listen to that interview with the mayor.
3: You know, it was a different uh, strategy, uh, and I thought she was very
4: effective, very confident. I uh, thought it was a powerful speech. So uh, a lot mentioned about the Detroit Hamtramck Assembly plant, uh, a couple other mentions for Detroit. Uh, what, what did you hear in this speech that really impacts the city?
3: Well, I mean, Governor Whitmer is quickly becoming the auto jobs governor, uh, and it's been plant after plant, and we've got more supplier plants coming now. Uh, that GM is going to put more than $2 billion into an assembly plant in Detroit. So she's been a terrific partner on every one of these auto plant deals. Uh, and I was sure glad to hear her emphasize uh, the universal pre-K. Uh, we need the four-year-olds uh, in the city of Detroit to have a full day of preschool. Our, our third-grade reading levels uh, are, are just not acceptable. and uh, Kids have to start earlier, and I think it's a really important part. I was glad to hear her emphasize it.
4: What do you think the current third-grade reading law would mean for the city of Detroit and third-graders who could be held back?
3: Yeah, I I think it's non-functional statewide. Uh, So the problem isn't to threaten kids when they're eight with being held back. Uh, We need to start when they're four and they're five and they're six and give them quality education. Uh, And I
4: think that's where this governor is going. Now, she touted the um, auto insurance law as her big accomplishment of the year where she was able to make a deal with Republicans, huge deal for the city of Detroit, something you've worked on for many years. Uh, what do you think about the pushback so far? I mean, it's uh, given that it's been seven months and people aren't noticing it, uh, and also considering that it's still months out before it goes into full effect.
3: Right. People won't notice it until July 1st, uh, but July 1st, there will be huge reductions for a lot of people in the city uh, pretty much everybody will see hundreds of dollars and many people will see reductions upwards of a thousand dollars but the law is complicated uh, the insurance bureau still hasn't come out with clear regulations uh, but uh, for those who learn it and take advantage if you're already on medicare uh, you could save a thousand dollars a year and unnecessary duplicate coverage if you already have health care on your job you could save huge amounts in unnecessary duplicate coverage and uh, in Detroit we're going to hold information sessions that I'm going to do across the city where I'm going to have people bring in their insurance bills and make darn sure uh, that uh, people choose the right option for them.
4: Are you concerned about insurance companies jacking up other parts of people's bills and uh, sort of zeroing out the gains? Oh, that won't happen, that's not, that's not possible. The question is going to be do people get too
3: confused that they don't take advantage of the options? The confusion is the real enemy of the success of this
4: bill, and we're going to work hard at it. And really quickly before you go, um, talk about the demolitions and uh, what your next steps are for that.
3: Yeah, we're working with City Council to come up with a plan. So uh, we got 20,000 houses down and 18,000 to go. We've also rehabbed 9,000 houses and moved 9,000 families in. We got 8,000 more houses to get renovated, and uh, we're going to push a plan for all those things. Mayor Duggan, thank you so much.
1: That was Jake Neer, Detroit Today's senior producer, talking with the mayor of the city of Detroit, Mike Duggan, in Lansing last night, as many people were, to hear Governor Gretchen Whitmer's second state of the state address. Okay, we want to get right to what happened during that address uh, and the things that the governor was announcing and talking about. Uh, Riley Begin, let's start with you. You were in the room last night. What was the reaction to Whitmer's Road's announcement?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say that Republicans um, were pretty frustrated by this move. I mean, it's essentially sidestepping them. They have no say in whether this uh, bond gets taken out. They, um, you know, the 45-cent gas tax increase per gallon that Governor Whitmer proposed last year was pretty much dead on arrival and there was no chance Republicans were going to raise taxes especially um, that high. They argue that they did uh, offer some other counter proposals despite the governor sort of consistently saying they had no real proposals. Um, we actually have no way to really verify because it never became public. They never Um, exposed what their plans were but uh, we heard there were probably about three plans and it never passed the governor as well so they're pretty mad about this um, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's nothing they can do
4: yeah Uh,
1: Jake talk about the politics of this going forward the governor needs the legislature to do a number of different things. Still with roads, even if this 3.5 billion dollars goes and is spent the, the the right way, we we still have this ongoing issue of underfunding. Does this make it easier for her to get an actual deal with them, or does it make it harder?
4: Yeah, well, so I think that what's interesting is I think there is this sort of apples and oranges uh, comparison going on right now. And, uh, you know, I think the Republican leaders were quick to point that out after the speech, saying – look, you know, this is a financing tool. This is not a long-term funding solution for roads. That This is something that is available. I will also note that Mike Shirky in the Republican response on uh, public radio stations right after the speech uh, came in and actually said, look, this is a financing tool I've been talking about for years now, and I actually think, if done responsibly, uh, it could be a tool in the, the toolbox, but um, he was also very critical about the way that the governor has gone about this and tried to create consensus. I actually think that um, this does probably make it harder for the governor to come up with a long-term funding solution that, you know, but but at the same time, look, we've been talking about this for the better part of a decade now. Uh, this was not this isn't just uh, Governor Whitmer's idea. This is something that uh, Governor Snyder pushed for pretty much all of his time in office as well. Couldn't get that done as a Republican mm-hmm. with Republican led legislature. Now you have a Democrat who's got a gaining or rising national profile right now uh, who is giving the uh, the uh, um, the Democratic response to the State of the Union address. Uh, Now, this is her issue that she needs a win on. I think it's very unlikely that Republicans will hand her anything uh, that like a big win like that, uh, which is exactly why I think this is why she's going alone. This is what she can do by herself, and it gives her the ability to say, especially when people ask her, what have you accomplished on your big uh, promise here? She can point to, point to something now, and she doesn't rely on Republicans who are going to fight her on every step to do that.
1: Mm. Uh, Riley, talk about the impact of this $3.5 billion in borrowing on the state budget what what will that do to our finances?
2: Yeah, so um you know the governor argues that this is actually going to be cheaper for the state in the long run and um bear with me a part of that is because it has to do with interest rates. So mm-hmm. there's a about 3% interest rate um on average over this 25-year bond um and then the Michigan Department of Transportation estimates that the costs of fixing these roads are going to go about 4%. So uh, the math there says that it might actually end up being cheaper. Um, you know, the state is still paying down bonds, but we are reaching a point where we can um, afford this. So uh, that's the argument that we can actually stomach this.
1: And what will the money actually accomplish? What what will we do with $3.5 billion to make the roads better?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um this money actually is coming from the state trunk line fund. So it actually can only be used for highways. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have noticed that probably the worst roads that they drive on are their local roads. Um, This is not going to help that. We still need a long-term funding solution for local roads. Um, But that being said, it's going to completely reconstruct some of those Crumbling highways. There, she made a point this morning to say, this is not going to be just patches. This is going to be um, a complete fix. So, those highways you drive on are going to look a lot better.
1: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests are Jake Neer, the senior producer here at Detroit Today, and Riley Began, a capital reporter with Bridge Magazine. We're talking about Governor Gretchen Whitmer's second state of the state address, which happened yesterday in Lansing. Huge announcement out of it was that she was going to bypass the state legislature in the debate about how to fix our roads and go straight to the State Transportation Commission and ask to borrow $3.5 billion in bonds to get right to work on fixing the roads here in Michigan. Uh, Right before we went on air, the Transportation Commission approved that borrowing. So that is now a done deal. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you think of this plan to take out $3.5 billion in bonds to help fix the roads over the next five years. Do you think that's a better solution than raising taxes at the pump or toll roads or any of the other ideas that we have had out there for the road funding that we desperately need here in the state? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. We really want to hear from folks about the idea of borrowing this money. Is that the responsible way to fix roads here in the state of Michigan? And if you don't think that's true, tell us what else you would do. Would you have paid willingly that $0.45 hike at the pump in gas taxes that the governor paid? Or would you come up with another way? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones, uh, Jake. Uh, before we get to listeners, I, I want you to talk about how far this 3.5 billion dollars will actually go. And and it, by 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 that, what I mean is, does this kick the the need for ongoing funding down the road just a little bit? Does it give us a reprieve from the really awful conditions that we're that we're dealing with uh, enough so that we can give the politicians time to figure out a better way.
4: You ready for the um, sort of stereoty- or the stereotypical answer here? <laughs> yes and no, Stephen. Yes Stephen. No. <laughs> uh, it depends on what road you're driving on, right? Yeah. As, as Riley mentioned earlier, the uh, state trunk lines that are in the worst shape right now will look better yeah. uh, if if this goes the way that the governor plans on it going. Your local roads, however, will uh, under they can't this planet, benefit from this. Right. And uh, there have actually been arguments out there. Uh, Repu- uh, Republican uh, former Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly posted today on Facebook explaining why the, the governor, uh, Governor Snyder, didn't do this. Uh, and uh, he argues that this could actually, because of the bonding, because of the debt and so forth, there's a lot of math to it, uh, would actually reduce money that would otherwise go to local roads in the meantime. Uh, so that is it's an interesting uh, reaction to this uh, that probably uh, needs a little more digging, but uh, I think it's, it's going to be one of those situations where um, uh, you know as the uh, as these roads are reconstructed there's also going to be a lot of questions asked about well why don't my local roads look better mm-hmm. I'm not feeling this the way that uh, you know you made it sound like it was going to feel now also consider you know you hear that number 3.5 billion dollars it sounds like a lot that is over this is a five year plan that is much less than the, uh, the, the what the 45 cent fuel tax increase would have accomplished which is about 2 billion dollars yeah. uh, a year. Every year, right. so that is this is so much we're still more way down. We're yeah. still way short. We're still way short. And and the governor acknowledges that she says, "Look, the the legislature. This doesn't get the legislature off the hook. This means that uh, you know this is the start to something, uh, and uh, you guys need to come up with a real long term solution." But again, as we said, uh, this probably makes it even harder now.
1: So so I I also wonder what it means for some of the other discussions about local roads. One of the things that I've heard is that there is some idea out there to allow local municipalities to raise money for roads that they're responsible for as part of the fix for this, uh, for this problem. Does this give a boost, perhaps, to that kind of idea?
4: Well, sure, and I mean, it could it could uh, also increase public pressure as well as the roads continue to deteriorate. Although I have a feeling that uh, we're all sort of at peak uh, road funding, uh, you know, uh, need right now in terms of uh, how people are feeling about the roads. But uh, that is that is something that uh, possibly could be uh, more in the mix as we move forward with this.
1: Again, three one three five seven seven. 1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Tom in Franklin. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead.
5: Um, I think that this road funding discussion ends up being really myopic for a couple reasons. One is that our roads are only a symbol of our overall failing Infrastructure, which doesn't just include things like water and transportation, but also things like education and worker training. And until we change the way we are getting revenue from people in Michigan to taking more tax including a gasoline tax or a road tax, but also funding all of our needs.
1: Mm. Uh, uh, Tom, I really appreciate uh, the call and the comments. Uh, Riley Begin, respond to what he's saying there. This is k- kind of a contextual response, I guess, to, to, to what the governor's proposing.
2: Yeah, and I think um, the governor would probably agree with you. Michigan faces a lot of big problems. Um, A lot of them are interconnected, and they're hard to fix. Um, You know, the governor made a couple other big proposals uh, last night that we'll see where they end up going um, related to education. There were some legislation last year related to workforce training. Um, But... Yeah, unfortunately, that, that is the reality, that we have a lot of big problems. They're interconnected, and uh, we're in a divided government where it's hard to agree. It's easy to agree on the goals and hard to agree on how to get there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim in Southfield called and could not stay on the line, but he says, I really dislike the $0.45 cent gas tax thing, but I applaud this move. I think she wins this round, so somebody who supports what the governor is doing and thinks that politically, at least, it's a win for her. Let's go to Robin in Garden City. Robin, welcome to Detroit Today.
6: Hey, good morning, guys. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to be real quick here. Um, I don't think we need to be borrowing. I think we need to be finding these funds internally. And my question is, where is the revenue, all of this new revenue from the marijuana sales? Why is this not going towards the road? Why, why can't this money be funneled towards infrastructure and education?
1: Yeah, Robin, you and win I- the you win the door prize here on uh, Detroit Today today for bringing up marijuana sales, which is something that we hear a lot from listeners. Hot for potholes, right? Uh, asking question, asking whether the revenue from those sales, the tax revenue from those sales, is one of the things that we could be using for roads. Uh, it is second, I think, on this show, only to questions about the lottery and whether we could divert mm-hmm. money from the lottery into into road funding. Jake, uh, respond to what Robin's saying here. Don't
4: forget tobacco
1: settlement as uh, well. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> but
4: yeah, so um, I believe that this the, the short answer is that some of that revenue will be going toward the roads. Yes. Uh, but the Unfortunate answer for you, Robin, is that um, this is—I mean—that is a drop in the bucket. I mean, uh, the most uh, at the, the most generous, uh, you know, uh, estimates for what the pot industry in Michigan could generate in terms of state revenue total are in the low hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, we're talking about a two-plus, maybe even up to four-plus billion-dollar problem. For road maintenance that we have here in Michigan, um, it, it won't make. I mean, you'd have to smoke an inordinate or inordinate <laughs> amount of <laughs> marijuana to try to get the roads fixed the way that you would need. I mean, it's just not. It's not a possibility. That that is that could be part, uh, a very small part of the long-term solution, but it's just not going to make a
1: dent. Uh, the other thing is that the way in which we have legalized marijuana and decided to tax it is not the most efficient way to, to be able to yield that tax revenue. There 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 was opportunity to get a lot more money out of that than we did, they decided against it.
4: Well, there's a, this is a very complicated calculus that went into how we're taxing uh, marijuana through the Proposal 1 that passed in 20, uh, 2018, uh, and they wanted the tax rate to be relatively low, and that was mostly because they didn't want the black market to uh, be thriving the way that it is in other states with a very high tax rates, uh, which sort of uh, negates the, the whole point of having a recreational system in the first place. So, uh, they set the the tax rate relatively low compared to other states for that reason.
1: Okay. Jake Neer, senior producer here at Detroit Today, and Riley Began, capital reporter for Bridge Magazine. Great to have you guys here to talk about the speech. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks, Stephen.
4: Thank
1: you. Up next, we're going to talk about what the governor had to say about education, as well as a new report from Education Trust Midwest that says Michigan is now in the bottom five when it comes to equitable school funding. Unbelievable number. Stay with us on Detroit Today.
0: All Michigan students should have the opportunity to go to properly funded schools. The one-size-fits-all approach does not work. Any teacher can tell you.
1: That was Governor Gretchen Whitmer talking about our schools here in Michigan at her State of the State address yesterday. It's no secret to anyone who's actually paying attention that our schools generally don't have the resources they need. But a new report shows Michigan is now in the bottom five nationally nationally for what it calls equitable funding. The Education Trust Midwest says that means the hardest burden is falling on students with special needs, students from low-income families, new English speakers, and students in isolated rural schools. How did we get here, and what needs to happen to turn that around? Joining us now to talk more about this report and this issue is Amber Ariano. She is the founding executive director of the Education Trust Midwest. Amber, welcome to Detroit Today.
6: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: So before we get into the findings of the report, let's quickly hear just a little more about what Governor Whitmer had to say about this issue of equitable funding.
0: Any teacher can tell you that every student has potential, but their needs are often very different. This year, together, we move forward on an equitable funding formula. We did that together. And equitable funding is essential to meeting the needs of our at-risk students And students with special needs, ensuring that every child gets the skills to graduate and succeed in our workforce.
1: Okay, that was the governor talking. Just a little more about equitable funding. Uh, Amber Ariano, what did you hear from the governor, and what do you think it means for policymaking going forward?
6: I thought her speech was was historic in many ways. You know, we have not heard. A governor speak about equitable school funding in Michigan. Gosh, I I don't. I mean, you, you've you've been reporting in Michigan now, um, Stephen, for more than twenty years. I can't recall a time um, over the last twenty five years of a governor using her state of the state to to lift up this issue. And so, I think it's it's um, it's terrific for for vulnerable students. I think it's the right time. The last few years, there's been evidence mounting. From both in-state and out-state researchers, showing that you know Michigan is sort of woefully behind other states for investment in its K-12 public education system, and the kids in the state that are that are living in the neediest communities are are bearing the brunt of that.
1: Mm. So, talk about what you found in your report.
6: So, our report. We worked with with a, um, a number of national organizations to look at um, how we were doing compared to the rest of the country and. And what we'd found was that we're in the bottom five states in the country um, for the gaps between affluent school districts in the state and high poverty communities in the state and how much the state funds them. In fact, it, it's as much as thousands of dollars for for school districts. And you think about districts in the um, Upper Peninsula, districts like Flint or Pontiac or Grand Rapids, where the tax base has been increasingly challenged as as. Um, the, the economy has changed over the last 20 years. And so it's just, it's gotten um, harder and harder for school districts and, and many of these communities to keep up with the demands of, of, um, you know, the changing world and, and modernizing their education systems. And so I don't think it's a surprise that, you know, we're seeing these, these um, chronic turnover from teachers, um, an inability for um, these districts to pay well, to pay teachers well. There's a, a huge gap in in um, in terms of equity in teacher salaries between affluent and, and high poverty districts in the state. And we found that um, when you look at all of that together we're we're one of the most inequitable states in the country for for funding public education for for vulnerable students.
1: you know, I, I think of this problem as related to the overall funding problem here in Michigan, which is also not great, but there are some distinctions. I mean, I, they aren't they aren't traveling and on exactly the same track and and they have different solutions. Talk about the the difference between those two those two issues,
6: yeah. I think that's right. I think they're related but different. So, you know, there was a really um um a, a, a very important report came out about a year ago from Michigan State University finding that, Michigan was one of the bottom states in the country for keeping up with investment compared to other states. And that's been true across the board. So there's an adequacy problem for our funding um, for for K-12 education for all um, students in the state and all districts. But I think what, what's also important to note is that we know that different kids need have different needs. If there's a a second grader, um, who has dyslexia and he's not getting the support that he needs, um, to, to, you know, to address that learning challenge that he has. He's way more likely to not learn how to read. He's more likely to now be retained under the state's new retention law. And what now we're finding in research is he's also now, um, on track to not graduate from high school. He's, he's more likely, um, to, to work in um, a low-wage job for the rest of his life, right? So these this, these kinds of early things in life um, for kids can make really big differences in their life outcomes. And for kids with particular needs, we're, we're particularly not funding those needs. We're way behind other states in terms of how much we're spending in, in investing in kids that have learning disabilities. Um, we're... Um, We're way behind other states when it, when we think about how much it takes to invest in helping um, children that are, that are new English learners, um, how, you know, helping them make sure that they're, um, they're adapting and and learning English well so that they can succeed in our public education system. We've got um, particular challenges in rural and isolated areas and then areas where the tax base has been, where, where there's a low tax base and the local community doesn't have as much resources to invest in their students. And I think that the important thing to think about all of this is, you know, it's not just an issue for, for these kids and their families. It's an issue for the state. We're not Seattle. You know, this isn't we don't, we don't have the mountains and the ocean like San Francisco. It's harder for us to attract talent um like, like um um these cities do on the coast. So we have to we have to invest in our own talent base to remain competitive in the global economy.
1: Mm. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Amber Ariano. She's the founding executive director of the Education Trust Midwest. We're talking about a new report that places Michigan in the bottom five nationally when it comes to equitable school funding. Uh, We're talking about the school funding picture overall here in Michigan and how we climb back up the ladder. How do we get to a better space on this issue? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what should we be doing to make sure schools and students are getting the resources they need here in Michigan. Do you think the answer is more money? Do you think it's about how we spend the money we're already spending? Uh, Would you support raising taxes, for instance, to help pay to improve our schools? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Amber, Republicans talk about this issue, and when they do, their, their main point is that we have record-high funding for public education, that we're putting more money into schools each year than we ever have. I wonder how you would answer that bullet point. Well, I
6: think that there's some truth to that, depending on how you, you slice the data, right, um, that there have been um, significant improvements in in some ways in funding. Again, what we did in this report is that we really tried to zero in on students that have been most left behind. Um, And this is a, um, if I could just give an example for context. Um, Last year, Massachusetts, which is now, you know, the highest performing education state in the country, set a goal to become number one in the world. And they said, we're not going to just become number one in the world. We're going to do this for all of our students, we don't want to be number one for just rich students or for white students. We want to be number one for everybody. Hmm. And so they said, you know, we know that our post-industrial communities like Lawrence and Springfield, we know that they don't have the tax base to invest significantly in their students. And we're not going to tell the, um, those communities and families that's too bad. Good luck with that. Um, you know, You probably won't be able to give your kids a great education, but that's your, that's your problem. What the state did, what state leaders said is that is our responsibility. If we want to be number one in the world with a globally competitive education system and talent system and economy, which is, which is exactly where they're at for the country right now, they said, we're going to make sure that we do it for everybody and we're going to step in and we're going to fill the gaps that we see for low income students, for English language learners for for students that live in very concentrated, um, high-poverty neighborhoods, for rural areas. And we're going um, to invest in, for example, low-income students um, by up to 100% more funding for, for each of those students compared to non-low-income students. So what, what our data is saying is that um, that's what we need to be doing in Michigan. And I think the question is, um, you know, are we going to think about this in that kind of way, will our leaders really take ownership for the whole system and not just the, the schools in their own backyard?
1: Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Denise in Detroit. Denise, welcome to Detroit Hi. today.
7: Hi. So uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I think there needs to be some monitoring and assistance in the charter schools that are on every other corner in Detroit. In the uh, poverty areas, I volunteered in them. I had a student that attended, and there were no resources at all for the special needs students. And as a matter of fact, the students that weren't special needs, they were doing a horrible job of educating our students. It's a travesty.
1: Hmm.
7: It, nobody is doing anything about it.
1: Hmm. Uh, Denise, I appreciate the call and the comments. Amber, we've been arguing about charter schools in this state now since the mid 1990s. Denise's experience is something I've heard from a number of different people who've had uh, experiences with charter schools. Talk about the role that they play in this equitable funding discussion, though.
7: Yeah. No, that's a
6: great point. Um, and, and as you know, our organization has been calling for more accountability for charter school performance for for many years now. Um, I think it's a, it's important to note that you know charter schools also have funding challenges. Certainly um, they're they're public schools just like um, trad- traditional public schools are. And um, and you know again, if you if you look at the data, they're also woefully underfunded. Um, and so what one thing that we're trying to really make a point of in our report is um, it isn't just more money. We do need more transparency. We do need more accountability for the dollars. And this is b- both for charter schools and for traditional public schools. I mean, I think it's it's um, having been a, um, a journalist in Detroit for many many years. Um, you know, it was it's very common to hear parents say, "Wow, that school over there, that magnet school over there, seems like it it's just better resource. It's it's a new building. You know, the, they're teaching um, advanced placement courses." And, um, and and yet my na- my neighborhood school doesn't have doesn't have that advanced coursework we don't have those art classes we don't have the new windows and so um, we're we're talking about accountability and transparency for funding not just for um, based on sector charter versus traditional but also how money is spent within districts because we know based on decades of evidence that. Um, that the kids in the poorest neighborhoods and districts often are the least funded. Um, and so there's a lot that we can learn from states that are doing this really well, that they're taking their responsibility for, for funding, adequately funding all students and trying to put systems into place to make sure that that communities can track those dollars and make sure that all kids in their, in their city or their district are, are being well funded.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, thanks for the call uh, and the questions. Let's go to Jennifer in Trenton. Jennifer, welcome to the show.
7: Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, I was, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about Proposal A and how that affected the school funding formulas in Michigan that uh, came about, you know, gosh, in the 90s. 94,
1: That was
7: supposed to promote equitable equitable funding, and um, I think, in large part, in my opinion, it was a long-term plan to strangle the public schools in Michigan. Um, we gave up control of our local funding and handed it over to the state, um, and it's still not equitable, number one. Number two, um, most of my friends and neighbors and even some school employees don't understand that schools are no longer funded directly by your local taxes. When mm-hmm. I was growing up, we had a lot of industry in my community, so we had really well-funded schools, um, incredible programs. Everything mm-hmm. was was amazing. Um, now, my community still has the industry, but we don't have the funding anymore. So, mm-hmm. if you could talk more about Proposal A, I would appreciate it.
1: Jennifer, I really appreciate the call and the question. Amber, mm-hmm. talk about Proposal yeah. A, which as Jennifer points out, when we passed that in the mid '90s, it was intended to narrow the gap between the wealthiest districts and the poorest. It didn't go as far as a lot of people might have wanted it to. But mm-hmm. what what has happened over the over the intervening time?
6: Yeah, it's such a. I mean, I think her points are, are right on, and and her observations about her local community. Um, are certainly, I think, true across the state. True, true from from my hometown. I'm I'm from Pontiac, and and the story she just narrated is is very much true for that community as well. Um, the so I think she's she's absolutely right about the 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 big vision, right? The big aspiration of Proposal A was that it was going to close the gaps um, between. Um, rich and poor and, and working class and, and middle class. And and when we've been, you know, we've worked on this report again with, with um, two other national organizations for over a year. I can tell you that we we found it. We found the, the work on um, trying to um, uncover the impact of proposal A and then trying to track the gaps in terms of equity over more than 20 years. It was really hard because as you, as you remember, Stephen, um, that, the Internet, you know, was in in what its infancy at that time. Um, And, you know, you couldn't just go and um, we couldn't just like find Proposal A in its entirety, especially in in its written language. And and then the way that it was implemented in the early years easily. I mean, it actually was um, a pretty exhausting process with with three different organizations trying to, to uncover all of that. And what, what we found was that in the beginning years of, of, of implementation, the gaps were actually, um, there were, um, the gaps were not as dramatic as they, they became over time. So some of it is is um, from our, based on our analysis, some of this is um, not just in part due to proposal A, it's also in part the way that it's been implemented and the way that it's been changed over time, because over time... Um, the funding formula, while it's it's still under sort of the, the heading of Proposal A, as you know, lots of organizations lobby. There have been shifts over time in terms of the politics in the state. And over time, the way that Proposal A has been rolled out has, has changed, and it's it's gotten um, more and more inequitable. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have to both look at Proposal A when we think about overhauling the system, but we also have to look at the way that... Um, that we've dispersed dollars, um, and in many ways how totally unfair that's been, um, particularly in the last decade.
1: Amber funding founding executive director of the Education Trust Midwest. Always great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Have a great week. Yeah, thanks for coming by. Up next, we're going to talk about how people here in Southeast Michigan are reacting to the turmoil in India's democracy with Ajit Sahi, a political analyst and civil liberties activist from India. Stay with us on Detroit Today.